spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Coming up on Believe in Soccer, the Henri effect. How one of the greatest players of his generation makes his mark as a manager in Montreal. The Gareth Bale mess at Real Madrid, it's lasted too long. Is a reunion with Jose Mourinho at Tottenham imminent? And the search for elite talent. Mike Grella, scouts for FC Cincinnati, will ask where the next wave of great American players will come from. The Shep Messing Daily Cast is next. Hi and welcome to another edition of Believe in Soccer. This is Shep Messing's podcast. My name is Steve Cangelosi. This is the eve of the Bundesliga season where in Germany, one of the best Americans abroad might be looking at a position change. We'll get to Tyler Adams in a moment. Let's start though, Shep, with a take please on someone who was once one of the game's best players, Gareth Bale, had a fall from grace so big that Real Madrid never even played him in the last seven league games. And then just weeks ago, he's refusing to leave, even with Zidane preparing to sit him again as another season is just days away in Spain. It's kind of a toxic mess, but maybe there's an end to this with reports that he is set to leave finally and return to Tottenham seven years after he left North London. You ever experienced anything in all of your years in the game as long, as drawn out, and as fruitless as this? Well, Steve, the answer is no. I I wish I was involved with something with those kind of dollars (laughs) attached to it. But you look back at the history of, of the Spanish league, La Liga, how many English, or in Gareth Bale's case, Welsh players, have really gone over there and done well, Beckham for sure, but it hasn't been a hotbed for English, UK, Welsh talent. And, and you know, under the radar screen, you, you talk about seven years there. In those seven years, Gareth Bale has picked up 12 trophies in four European Cups. So the success has been there. And in terms of the money and the drawn-out saga, it's just stupid. It really is on the part of Real Madrid. If he's not going to be in the plans, you know, the sharpest knight cuts the cleanest, make a lot of money and make the transfer. Uh, I do want to point out, you know, I'm, I'm friends and acquaintances for a long time with Gareth Bale's agent, Jonathan Barnett. And I've spoken to him over the, over the years that Gareth has been there. And he said the media circus in the U.K., is all wrong in terms of Gareth Bale. You know, it's it's they're taking shots at him all the time since the time he left. They're claiming he doesn't speak Spanish, and he speaks Spanish fluently. So, you know, there are always two sides to the story, and I do think it's time for him to come right, home. But this is the most expensive transfer in the game's history at the time that he arrived at Real Madrid. Put your agent hat on for a second, and I know you haven't worn that hat in years. Doesn't there come a point where you advise your client, none of this serves you well, get out? <laughs> Listen, I-, I left the agent business after a good, successful run, 
because it's the worst business in the world. So to answer your question, no. I have never met an agent that put his client's welfare above his own pocketbook. So, look, Jonathan Barnett is going to collect his agent either way. And, you know, is it good for the game? Is it good for Gareth? Look, don't look for your agent for sound advice. Jose Mourinho had a press conference Wednesday ahead of Tottenham's Europa League match on Thursday. He was asked if he can comment on Gareth Bale going back to Tottenham. No, that's not my that's not my job to to have contacts with uh, with agents. So honestly, I don't want to comment on on that. And again, especially regarding players that um, are players from other clubs. Okay. I tried to sign him for uh, Real Madrid, which was not possible to do during my time there. But the president followed my my instinct and followed my, my knowledge. And uh, the season I, I left, he brought uh, Garrett to the club. There is no secret on on that. I think even even Garrett knows that. But uh, I'm not going to speak about him anymore because... Just end on this. There are complicated layers to things like this, aren't there? Image rights in a typical negotiation like this. How many people have their spoon in the soup? I once showed up with a client, uh, a Russian player, Mostovoy. I showed up in Spain... And I went to do the contract and and 10 other agents showed up, each claiming that they had a piece of the deal. Yeah, in in today's world, imaging, branding rights, uh, likeness, uh, these are big, complicated business decisions. So a lot of sharks at the table. You wanted to get to Thierry Henry's impact as a manager today in Major League Soccer, first-year manager with the Montreal Impact. Uh, His team was to play its final game of Phase 1 versus Vancouver on Wednesday night. What is he bringing to this job and this profession, and why did you want to invoke his name today? Well, Steve, for a couple of reasons, I wanted to bring up Thierry Henry, and and it intersects with why I think he's going to be very successful in Montreal, we, we both know Thierry is the player, as the guy, electrifying, a dynamic personality, a big personality, right? And, and as good as it gets when he was a player. I don't want to use the word temperamental, but he was a lightning rod on the field and off the field. He just, he's a, he's a larger than life character with the swagger and the confidence and the way he carries himself. How does that translate into now a manager's job? Well, I think it's, it's going to bode well for him. And, and I'll tell you why. This is where real life intersects with, with sports. Uh, Thierry Henry put out a video message, I think it was on Bleacher Report, about fighting racism. And it was the most poignant to point combination of pain, anger, but all channeled into a very constructive message. I've never heard a better one. And he was calling out everybody in his locker room around the world to, to stop it. This is a fight against racism. Again, he was so articulate, so passionate, and he embraced everybody in it. So at the end of the message, it was, this is for all of us to fight. Black, white, color of your skin doesn't matter. 
country, culture doesn't matter. We all have to embrace it and fight together. It was a fantastic message. And when I watched his team in the game against Vancouver a few days ago, I never saw such joy and, and togetherness from a team. With every goal, with, when the game ended, Thierry smiling, embracing everybody. My point is, I think he's shown real leadership qualities. And I think his team has bought in. And, and I think that's a factor in, in how this Montreal season is going to go. There's an adage that great players don't make great managers, that the skill set doesn't translate. Uh, Zidane, though, has had great success. Uh, can you take me back to when players like Johan Cruyff crossed over and managed, and Franz Beckenbauer, who you know so well, did manage Germany to a World Cup championship in 1990? Yeah, Steve, we, we, like, to, we like to have, you know, fit things in a in a in a nice neat box it doesn't always work that way i think as a player when you play with certain guys i played enough times against johan cruyff we'd have dinner after certainly franz beckenbauer you knew then when they were players that they were cut out to be managers why because i'm going back to thierry henry they were leaders you know soccer is not x and o's as you know it's really assembling guys getting them on the same page and being a leader in that locker room uh, not a lot of uh, X and O's and tactics. Look, that's always involved, but mm-hmm. the main quality is leadership. Cruyff had it. Uh, Franz Beckenbauer certainly had it. Zidane has it. And, and I think, hope Thierry Henry follows the same path. You're giving this message and chatting about Thierry when Aubameyang just signed a contract extension with Arsenal today that's believed to be worth 250,000 pounds per week uh the message being floated in north london now now you deliver a game that's worthy of a statue outside the stadium one of Henri, of course exists outside the emirates uh, if you had to put Henri in his prime in a pecking order today where would he be maybe third in the world behind messi and cristiano ronaldo or top 10 i would think minimum but probably higher than that Yes, yeah, Steve. I, you know, I did the math on that contract, 250,000 pounds a week. That's about 13 million pounds converted to U.S. over $16 million. I think Thierry Henry is certainly top five. I can't think of who else would surpass him, but I would certainly put him in the, in the top three with Messi and, and Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, he was that good. In a moment, we'll talk with Mike Grella, uh, a head scout, head domestic scout for FC Cincinnati in Major League Soccer, where they're looking for talent in the beautiful game in our country. Just want to quickly get to one heavyweight matchup in MLS that we should address this week. Phase one of the MLS return to play schedule is ending. Phase two beginning Friday. It's a rematch of last season's Western Conference final with Seattle hosting LAFC. The Sounders winning the single elimination conference championship game last year on the road, three to one. That's a game that still sticks in the craw of Bob Bradley, I assume. Yeah, I think that should be a, a great game coming up. And, and look, I've known Bob Bradley a long time. Uh, he's going to go after this one. And, and you know the lineup that he's going with. It's not his, you know, injuries to Carlos Vela. He, not his top lineup, but he's got Rodriguez and Bradley Wright Phillips and Rossi. Uh, I think, look, I always underestimate tat- tactics. But, but, you know, Bob Bradley has been playing with a 4-3-3 
And Brian Schmetzer, you know, a 4-2-3-1. He's got Roldan and Joao Paulo sitting in front of the back four. I think this one's going to be a slugfest. I worry for LAFC, Steve, only in terms of what they've shown defensively. Yeah, Sounders last week became the ninth team in MLS history to score at least seven times in one game. And LAFC has allowed the second most goals in the league to this point with Carlos Vela injured Bradley Wright Phillips is not a luxury he's a necessity right now yeah 100 percent. and I know uh Red Bulls fans probably wished he were back playing for their team look he had a severe injury Steve you know that and and did he come back too soon uh did it never heal fully uh did the the pandemic and the extra time off help him all of those things are a factor but he looks he looks really sharp he looks in tremendous shape. He's a big asset for that team. And away we go. Red Bulls attack. Right off the opening kick. Mike Grella fires and it's a flex in. Wow. Eight seconds in. And the New York Red Bulls have a one-nothing lead just as the fans were getting seated. Absolutely incredible. You've got to be kidding me. It's no exaggeration to say there was a time he was one of the game's most exciting talents in MLS. Mike Grella had moves that would often get fans out of their seats. He was part of a terrific New York Red Bulls midfield that in its 2015 Supporters Shield winning season saw the trio of attacking midfielders Grella, Sasha Klustian, Lloyd Sam, average each of them nine goals and nine assists between them well Grella's job now to identify talent to cultivate it the domestic scout for FC Cincinnati which visits Grella's former team this weekend by the way those were fun times to watch Mike thanks for being with us how you doing these days my pleasure my pleasure it's an honor to be on with you guys and and everything's great everything's fantastic aside from all the craziness going on, um, it, it's, been, it's been nice. Well, Mike, can't tell you how good it is to have you. And, and I think I nicknamed you Grelladino or maybe one of your That's fans, right. but we used to love <laughs> saying that on the broadcast. Domestic scout. How does one function as a domestic scout in this age of coronavirus? What do you look for? Where do you look for it? And how do you look for it right now? Yeah, it's, uh, we have a lot of programs that we use online. It's a lot of computer-based stuff. Um, I'm not doing as much as the traveling, nearly any of the traveling uh, due to all the COVID restrictions, but um, we have really cool databases and programs that were able, enable us to watch players. I mean, I can click on any player that played in the last probably 15, 10 years and current uh, at any age and watch their passing or their long balls or their defending or, I mean, there's, there's so many things. And then there's other programs that have, uh, uh, all statistics on the player, things that you would never be able to see with the, uh, with the, with the eye. Um, so, you know, constantly looking for players and looking for talent. And then of course, uh, tapping into my network of people that I've met, uh, players that I've played with GMs that I've met in the past from all over the world and speaking to them about certain players and certain options and guys with potential and guys that would fit, uh, FC Cincinnati. So, those are that's what we mainly look at is uh, trying to tap into my network from around the world and see if we can get a jump on any uh, really talented or young or any player that fits what we're looking for. Hey, Mike, you and I have something in common relating to this because, uh, you know, it's archaic. But back in my day, in your day, 
they identified the All-Americans in college. You were an All-American at Duke. Yeah. Uh, that's how I got identified. And they just look at the All-Americans and they throw us into a draft. Now it's a completely different landscape. And you touched on the software. Do you use programs like Scout? Yeah, it's, uh, it's like StatsBomb and Scout, And then we use the Scout 7 uh, database. Uh, and then there's a few more that we use for, uh, but there's so much information available. It's unbelievable. Sometimes you can get lost in it. Um, I think I'm more, um, so FC Cincinnati has a very cool approach to it, which is also why I was intrigued to, to take this job was they're very analytical. So we have a department that's purely in the scouting department. That's purely analytical. That looks at, um, I think it could be wrong, but it's, I think GPIs and it produces this number. And then there's all these, uh, you know, data numbers, um, and it's, and it spits out players that suit what we're looking for. And I'm more on the side of. Uh, the eye test, watching the player, feeling what the player is like, what his personality is like, what characteristics he has in the field. Sometimes the two make a perfect marriage, the analytics and what I see and what are my scouting team sees. Um, and then we're really, we really start to pursue the player and follow the player. And sometimes they don't. And, and we have conversations about players. And when they don't, it's, it's totally fine also. It's just, you know, we have to look deeper or look at it from a different angle. But Normally we look for that perfect marriage between analytics and what I more specialize in is watching the player play and getting a real feel for what he's like uh, on the field on the day. So um, that's, you know, that's sort of what my, more my focus is. Do you break it down as a team geographically? Do you, uh, you know, who's looking at U.S. players? Who's looking at uh, Mexican players, Central America? There's a little bit of that. Um, and, you know, my, my last, well, my first professional club was Leeds United. And, I, you know, since I've gone into this side of the business, I've been trying to learn a lot more about what scouts do, what GMs do, how clubs run, how can they run more efficiently and be successful. So, um, you know, a team like Leeds United has 16 scouts or it's like plus 16 scouts. So what they do is um, they have certain scouts assigned to certain leagues where we're more a very small department. Uh, I think in total, I don't want to leave anyone out. There's probably six of us um, and really only about four of us that are really looking for, you know, currently looking for or actively every on the daily looking for players. So you can't just focus on one league. I think it's really helped me being in the MLS. I played, I played in Denmark. I got to play in Scotland for a little bit. I got to play in England. So I think that's helped me my past experiences being in those leagues, knowing those leagues, but it's very difficult to keep a tab on, on just only two leagues. We have to have a broader scope of, um, you know, so we're looking at players from all over the world at any given time. Yeah. Do you, do you really look tactically or are you told, Obviously, clubs have different styles of play. Do, do they give you a character profile of, of the type player they're looking for? Yeah. So, I mean, in general, we're always looking for good players, talented players and good situations for us. But, yes, we do have a way we want to play, uh, a, a culture that, they, that the player has to fit. And every single position has um, sort of, yeah, the characteristics of what we're looking for. So on that, you know, you kind of have a mold. And then you try to fit these players into the mold. Obviously, if they fit the mold perfectly, they're worth 20 million bucks or more. That's normally what I find. So, yeah, it's it's finding the most, you know, well-rounded best fit in, in that section for the money that we have to spend at that, that given time. And, you know, guys that we track down the line that maybe don't fit right now, they go into a database and then we constantly monitor them and see what the situation is, what their situation is, and what if it ever meets our situation. 
So, Mike, a major signing for MLS last week was, of course, Gonzalo Higuain to enter Miami. His father, Jorge, who has another son playing in the United States, of course, Federico with D.C., says it's MLS that's become the exporter of footballs. Those are his footballers. Those are his words, not mine. And that the exodus from his country to MLS has really just begun. The teams in Argentina, he says, are mismanaged. Now, if that's true, what does that do for the ambitions of the American college player who hopes to turn pro and play here? All of a sudden, as Shep alluded to, there's that different base of competition for these young men. I think I think what you found, well, uh, just a side note, I, I, you know, I obviously my last year of my career, I played at Columbus Crew with Federico Higuain. We became uh, very, very close friends. So um, I do agree with what his dad's saying, uh, that the MLS is now the exporter of players and that they're, they're a very big league, uh, on, even on the world stage. You know, you look at a lot of the leagues around the world, um, in terms of quality even, really uh, not better than, than, than what we have here in the MLS. On the flip side of that, it's become much more difficult for American players to to break into a roster and 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 to get uh, game time. Now, I think what's happened, and you know, this is just my opinion, but I think what's happened is a lot of these foreign players come in, they get their green card right away, they don't count as international spots anymore, so they count as sort of American players, if you would, if that makes any sense, and then and then they fill their international spots with international players. So. Theoretically, the, the entire most of the team is is foreign. So it, for college players and young American players, unless they're in the national team fold, it's getting very difficult for them to uh, to break into to the league. And and I think um, you know when you look at the Premiership, there's not a lot of English players playing the Premiership. I mean, the percentages are not probably what you would describe as healthy. And uh, I think in the MLS, we just have to be careful of of that and make sure that. Uh, and we're bringing up some young American talent. I, I, like I said earlier, I look at players from all over the world and some of the American players I watch, I mean, they're right underneath your nose, very good players, really good attitudes, and they understand the league and the, and the transition style of the MLS. And, and uh, I think for sure we should give the, the U.S. players and the U.S. talent a chance to, to, to come through the ranks, but it's, it's becoming more difficult for them. Mike, do you deal with, uh, I saw the U.S. Soccer Federation is getting into this business of, of talent scouting. They're offering a license for it. Do you interact with U.S. soccer at all? No, not often. Uh, only my friendly conversations that I had with Greg, who was my manager at, at my last club. Um, he is, he's, he's really a good manager. He really is. I know a lot of people, for maybe not a big name coming into the job, but um, I'm big, big for Americans, but maybe not in the, on the world scene yet. But uh yeah, he's close to, you know, he's a tactical, I don't want to say genius, but he's tactical mastermind. I mean, he really studies the game and understands the game on a, on a really deep level. Um, so, yeah, having conversations with him, having uh, been trained by him in the last year, learned a lot. So, but uh, aside from speaking to Greg, I don't, I don't really have too many conversations with U.S. soccer. The best compliment I could pay you is that you were fun to watch. Uh, how do we keep structure but not stifle the creativity of players? Yeah, it's a fine line. You know, you want players to um, know the basics and practice the basics. I think the best players in the world, I've always I've said this to a lot of people, the best players in the world and the best teams in the world, they just do the simple things right and more consistently. Uh, and the American players are just as, as athletic and some of them even just as talented and players all over the world, like the lower level players, just as – but they can't 
they can't do the basics over and over and over again and see the and see the game over and over and over again. And and so that's what we're lacking. So there needs to be that structure to teach, okay, these are the basics, this is soccer, these are the tactics, right? But then if you go too far in that direction, like you're saying, it takes the fun out of the game, kids don't want to do it, it's, it becomes boring and machine-like. So then you need to have the fun, right? So then you start to think about like, you know, the Brazilian players like Neymar and stuff like that, guys who just go on the field and are just so talented and physically gifted and they just make you dream. And, you know, a kid watching someone like Neymar, it makes you dream about being there and doing that kind of stuff. So that line is a really, really fine line. There's no really, there's no real direct answer for it. You just not, to, I think you just need to be as a manager at any level for any age, even at the top level or the lowest levels of the kids. I think you just need to walk that line of, yeah, there's got to be some section of the training that is, uh, discipline and structured and learning sort of, and then some, uh, and then some of it, I'd say more, more, more so of it has to be fun and just a good time and com compete and enjoy the ball and, and just be with your buddies, be a good teammate and have a, you know, and play. And, and, and because that's why you play ultimately, that's why everyone gets into the game. Mike, I, I often talk about part of the problem for youth development in this country is Look, if you're if you're born here or you're an immigrant, if, if you're in this country, college has to be an aspiration. So where does that where does that put the development of the young player? And also, where does it put the college game? You were an All-American at Duke. I know you love the college game. Is that college game going to get lost? Yeah, I think what you know, look at look at what used to happen. I don't know how many years ago, but what used to happen was you get drafted um and you go into the draft and, and you, you start to play, a, if not the biggest part in, in one of your the MLS team that drafted you, you play a big part, right? You're part of the roster and you, you, you more than likely are, are playing games, you know, and the draft was a big deal. Uh, you look at today, the drafts and the, the draft, I, I don't want to say it's not a big deal. It is. There's a few players that are pretty good, but I think a majority of the players, it's only a trial for them. They only get to come into the team for preseason and then a lot of them, I don't know the numbers and I probably should, but I don't know the numbers, but they, um, they don't make it into the first team. Um, the level is definitely risen from where it's been. And there's, there is a little gap now between college and, and the MLS. I, I think at least. Mike, I'll end on this. Leeds is in the premier league. Now uh, you were there more than a decade ago when I think they were in league one, correct? So what did you get out of that experience in England that maybe you, you couldn't get here. I learned a lot. You know, I, I know my brother often says a lot of people say to me, Oh, if you had just stayed in the MLS, you probably would have done better financially and you probably would have, and you probably would have been a bigger name and had a shot at the national team. But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like to go back and I, I know I don't regret anything that I've done, but I learned a lot of things in England at Leeds specifically that made me successful when I came back to the MLS, I, I don't know if I would have had that success if I didn't, you know, kind of, kind of get humbled and learn a lot in, in England, you know, but just the culture the game, the fans, the people, the city, it's, it's, I can't say it enough. The fans, they even now still treat me like I'm one of theirs and, and I feel like I'm one of theirs and um, so much respect and love for the game. And, and they, and the city is awesome. There's just an energy in that stadium and energy in the city. That's really it's unmatched uh, anywhere that I've, that, that I've seen so far. So uh, really good club. I'm excited for them in the Premier League. Their first game, they played very, very well against Liverpool and let in, unfortunately, four set-piece set goal. But, but um, yeah, really fantastic place. Anyone who 
is only now just hearing about the club or Leeds because they've just come into the Premier League after so many years. I mean, if they get a chance to go to Ellen Road to a game or go to the city, it really is a magical place for soccer. That's terrific, catching up with Mike Grella. And while he played Shep for U.S. youth national teams, there was a time he was so impressive that I wondered if he'd get the call from Jurgen Klinsmann. It never came, though, for him as a U.S. national teamer. Steve, he had a different skill set than almost any other American player. I mean, with the ball at his feet, he could skin you on the dribble. He was dynamite to watch. Perhaps Klinsman just didn't know where to place him and how he could help his team. Placing Tyler Adams now is a source of, well, debate in the U.S. national team picture. And I guess some perspective on this changes with word from Leipzig and Julian Nagelsmann that there's going to be a tactical formation for Leipzig in certain spots and perhaps most games this season. Tyler Adams in that deep-lying midfield role where he's so far back, he's between the center backs. Think Andrea Pirlo at his peak. Is this going to work with the U.S. national team? Will it work with Leipzig? They seem to they sound excited about it. Well, you can't mention Jurgen Klinsmann without me taking a shot at him. I, I think, you know, he <laughs> didn't have a clue about Mike Grella. He set back U.S. soccer by a decade. Now to Tyler Adams. Look, I certainly can see Tyler Adams doing well in that role, sitting, you know, right in front of the two central defenders, as you mentioned, like a Pirlo. The problem for me with that, Steve, you're, you're losing one of his best assets, and that is his work rate, his speed, his ability to get up and down the field. And I don't think he'll be afforded the luxury to get forward that much from that spot. He's going to be a deep-lying playmaker. Can he do it? Absolutely. But I think, again, you're taking away one of his biggest strengths, which is his ability to run all day. You want somebody to make a firm decision moving forward, and hopefully that decision coincides club and country. He's played right back. Maybe he's moved around enough for a guy still this young. Well, look, it's up to Leipzig to figure out where they want him to play. They're the big boy on the block. And Tyler Adams, look, he's such a good kid. He's going to do whatever is asked. But at a certain stage in a player's career, you have to step up and say, hey, I'm a number 10 or I'm a number nine or I'm a right back. You can't just let coaches do whatever they want with you. Episode four in the books coming up on the next show. U.S. Olympic hopeful Kyle Duncan of the New York Red Bulls. Thanks for listening to Believe in Soccer, the Shep Messing Daily Cast. Shep, we'll chat tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.